You're listening to Having a Chat on CJRU in Toronto, the show where we take interesting people with interesting tastes in music and talk to them about the music that they love. Today, for part one of our political mini-series, we chat with NDP Member of Parliament for Timmins James Bay, Charlie Angus. In addition to his time as a Member of Parliament, music has always played a big role in Charlie's life. He has spent time playing in a group called the Grievous Angels, as well as a punk rock band known as Les Trangers, and we're very stoked to have him with us to chat about his favorite music. This is Having a Chat. So, Charlie, thanks very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we, we've talked about you once on this show before. When we had Tony Clement on, we played a little bit uh, of an exchange that you guys had uh, in the House of Commons where you were both sort of spouting off Rush lyrics. Uh, and uh, and that got me just sort of interested in the idea. And this is something that I sort of, I, I often like to ask political folks when we have you guys on. I mean, how does music intersect with your political life and and in this case particularly in uh in your time in parliament yeah i don't tend to talk a lot about music in my parliamentary life although i had a hilarious exchange with uh the the conservative ideologue garda Jenis, who tried to have my quoting of the of uh, simon and garfunkel ruled as unparliamentary um <laughs> because he accused me of t- saying that the conservatives were, I said that all lies in jest, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Right. <laughs> I've had a few musical exchanges over the years. Um, Tony and I certainly talk music. Uh, the other one I talk with is the our new attorney general. Right. Uh, Lametti and I talk because we both knew Sandy Perlman, who uh, was the producer on the famous Blue Oyster Cult um, don't Fear the Reaper song, right. and as well did the second Clash album. So Lametti and I often talk uh, about uh, albums and what we're listening to. So it's, it's, it's. I mean, I talk music. I don't talk hockey. So. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so I, I want to talk to you about uh, about this um, this band, this punk band that you you had back in the day. Um, I want to get the pronunciation right, though. Is it uh, h- how does one pronounce it? L'étranger. L'étranger. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah I, I just didn't want to didn't want to bungle that and uh, uh, and run the risk of upsetting anybody. Um, so, you know, speaking of just sort of. Um, parliamentary colleagues this was actually a band of yours with a former parliamentary colleague of yours named andrew cash how did that how did the band start and maybe you know how did it influence your relationship with him in the house well andrew and i met when we were 14 and we met on the principle that we were going to learn how to play guitar right Uh, and then once we learned how to play guitar we were going to quit school and form a band and go on the road (laughs) Uh, that was the understanding from the get-go uh, and in those days, our first musical influences were Neil Young and the Stones, and then we discovered The Clash, and The Clash right. transformed everything. It became, you know, we saw suddenly we saw a world uh, where political action was possible, where we didn't have to have all the great gear. We could just get out that DIY punk attitude right. really informed the band. It informed our politics, and it's pretty much, I don't do punk music anymore. Right. I don't play it. I don't dress like it. But it, it certainly made my political worldview of that DIY, just get up and do it. Put the posters up, 
you know, get a band, get out, do it. And, and that's when I, when I put my staff together in Parliament. It's kind of funny. Uh, I put my staff together. We had to put a band together. In fact, right. I taught them some musical terms about how we were going to talk about things because I'm more used to working in a band context than right. anything else. And uh, And the one thing I could say is that Andrew Cash and I are the only parliamentarians in the Westminster parliamentary tradition who opened for the dead Kennedys. <laughs> that is certainly uh, certainly something to be proud of, I would say. Um, well, so what was... Uh, the dead Kennedys fascinate me. Uh, what was that experience like? Well, it was very funny. Someone posted photos of our show with them at the Masonic Temple the other night, and I didn't know there were any... People didn't really have cameras back then. It was pre-digital. Right. That, that show was... the was almost a nightmare it was the most bizarre thing i'd ever been involved in we got paid maybe a hundred bucks right uh we had to make the posters and put them up right uh we got there this was the dead kennedy's first tour a lot of young kids came out to see them it, yeah, uh, we opened up the show started and then there were a lot of nazi punks uh right. just idiots there uh, and me being the quiet, gentle person I've been known to be in Parliament, I called them out, and hell reigned. It was just, right. it just descended into chaos, and yeah. there was spit and bottles and everything flying. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, I posted those pictures the other night, and a bunch of people who were at that show were commenting, and I was thinking, right. okay, I wasn't the only one that remembered. It's just yeah. like it was just, it was insane, and uh, it was a, you know, it's again, it's a, it's a story from the past. Well, so they. They had that. The Dead Kennedys had the. They were the ones with the song "Nazi Punks Fuck Off," right? Yeah. Okay. So, but I guess this would have perhaps been prior to that. But, but would that have been? In no, the no. That that came out in response to. I think that was. It was around the same time. I can't remember right. if the holidays in Cambodia had been released. But I mean, there was. That era was very, very political in terms of there was a lot of demonstrations in the streets. There was right. a sense that, um, you know, with the Russians and the Americans and Reagan uh, and Thatcher, um, mm. there was a lot of sense that we were in this new Cold War was going to get very hot very quickly. And then mm. there was also the first rise of that sort of alt-right at the time, mm. trying to break in through the music yeah. in the punk scene. It happened in England with the fascists in California. It happened um, elsewhere. It just tended to be dummies, uh, which yeah. I think most people who get attracted to the alt-right are but um there was there was we see it now much more broadly in society but then mm. we were really shocked to see people coming out with swastikas to yeah. our shows and thinking they were cool and it's like i'm sorry pal this yeah, is not no, cool it's... we're not going there you're not doing this yeah i mean it's interesting like i i, I was I had no real understanding that this was a, a thing that happened in Toronto. And I, I read a book about um, a Toronto punk band called Bunch of Fucking Goofs. Yeah, and yeah, the Goofs. It, yeah, and it told it told all these stories. About, I think, like just the number of venues they got banned from because skinheads would show up and try and, you know, beat up their fans and stuff. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, this was actually something that we talked about with uh, with Warren Kinsella when we had him on the show. Um, you know, it, it, and it was interesting hearing his stories of you know a band that he played with having a very similar experience uh, out in calgary in the 80s and how sort of you know western separatism and, and sort of this sort of white nationalism were sort of playing footsie with one another and and there were people showing up to his shows uh and and he uh perhaps a bit more aggressive than you are he he went out and tried to beat them up so uh but uh well we we carried a big front line of roadies uh 
back in those days. We had more roadies than the band in some of the venues <laughs> we had to play. So our roadies were really, really tough guys. But they were all peacemakers because nobody wanted to start a fight. But we, yeah. you know, I mean, it was a different world uh, yeah. in music. And uh, people took their, their badges of allegiance very seriously. And yeah. we, were, we were very political, but we were also very, I think... Uh, well, we were all good Catholic boys. We wanted people to like realize that the music could bring us to a better place than yeah, uh, just yeah. being dummies in a mosh pit. So yeah, fair enough. Okay, so yeah. with that in mind, um, the first song that I'm going to play of uh, is the one that I've picked. Uh, it's it's a song called One People, um, uh-huh. and it's <laughs> uh, it's got a little bit of a, a little bit of political meaning. My understanding is that it's sort of an anti-apartheid tune. What can you what can you tell us about this tune? Well, I don't think it was one of L'Etranger's better songs, but right. uh, when I look back on it, uh, that era was fascinating because musicians around the world stood up. Apartheid was the big battle uh, mm. politically, that that and the, the whole battle over nukes. And every musician took a stand. I mean, international mm. artists refused to place the Sun City uh, the, the resort. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, ban- the, the fight against apartheid involved everybody, and... You know, so we did our part as like a Toronto punk band, but mm-hmm. you know there were big, big acts that got involved, like Peter Gabriel, Little Stevie. I mean, they did this this shout out video on Sun City was the who's who of American rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So that was a, it's it's a reflective of a time when people thought music could change political structures, and they did. Yeah, yeah. well, so it's interesting. Um, we we had Adam Vaughn on the show. We we recorded it a couple of days ago, and I know you and he have been sort of getting into some Twitter exchanges recently, or at least from what I've seen. But uh, but one of the interesting things about having him on the show, I mean, this show, apart from being a podcast, is also broadcast on Ryerson Radio, mm-hmm. and um, and he started his journalism career on Ryerson Radio during a time when they had a very very adamant anti-apartheid policy on the radio which i I just thought was interesting um all right but with that in mind this is l'etranger with one people on cgru
just heard One People by L'Etranger on CJRU. We are here having a chat with Member of Parliament for Timmins, uh, Charlie Angus, uh, and former member of L'Etranger. Next up, we've got a tune by Stompin' Tom Connors. What can you tell us about this one? Well, Stompin' Tom Connors got his start playing the Maple Leaf Hotel in Timmins for beer money. He was basically almost like a street person hobo. Uh, and when he started playing the Maple Leaf, he began breaking the attendance records. You know, it's sort of a legend story. But in the middle of that was the McIntyre Mine Fire. My grandfather worked at that mine. Mm-hmm. And Tom started to write songs about what he was seeing. Right. And that's, I, I, I was asked uh, by the Toronto Star to write what I thought was one of the most significant underrated songs in Canadian history. And I said, Fire in the Mine, because... That was one of Stompin' Tom's first singles. It was on the local radio station, CKGB. The song outsold the Beatles. It was played on the radio all the time when I was growing yeah. up. It was the first time I ever heard anything about Canada ever yeah. on the radio. You just didn't talk about Canada at the time. And what's interesting is, you know, the establishment hated Tom. They were mm-hmm. embarrassed by him. The Canadian media were so embarrassed by this hick mm-hmm. uh, who went around singing songs about tobacco farmers uh, and steel workers and miners in Sudbury and he built this loyal audience and then in the 90s there was this whole movement to, or late 80s to bring Stomp and Tom back as this like really cool alternate you know rebel figure which he became right. uh, but he actually quit music for a while because he was so disgusted by the parochial view in Canada uh, that was embarrassed talking about Canadian places so I think Fire in the Mine is a powerful story. It's a piece of great writing about what was happening. He was writing the day-to-day effects, you know, of fighting an underground mine fire in a town that most people hadn't heard about. And to me, it uh, told the story of where I was from, and it yeah. tells the story of Canada and, and who we are as a people. Yeah, well, it's important to find music that resonates. Uh, anyway, well, I, I can't put it any better than that, Charlie. So this is uh, Stompin' Tom Connors with Fire in the Mine on CJRU. There was grief among the people of that northern Timmins town When someone hollered fire, the mine is burning down Then rushing to the surface came those McIntyre men To make ready and prepare to let the firefighters in there's a fire way down in the mine It was February 2nd in the year of 65 A miner's life was taken in the carbon monoxide The gas had been created way down a mile or so And the McIntyre hellfire 6,000 feet below There's a fire way down in the mine the call went through the Northland for men to fight the flame From Sudbury to Naranda and from everywhere they came With oxygen and gas masks they worked for a month of days In 150 degrees of heat they fought that gassy blaze There's a fire way down in the mine. The deadly gas kept rising in the McIntyre High Till it seeped through the walls and fire doors to the Hollinger mine nearby For nearly a thousand miners now, there was no work below The word came from the office, boys, we have to let you go There's a fire way down in the mine 
With their smiles of hope now faded, many faces wore a frown. Must we see our children hungry? Must we have to leave the town? Will they have to close the mines up, bringing trouble, strife, and woe? Or will they beat that gassy hellfire 6,000 feet below? There's a fire way down in the mine. Then at last it was all over, they had sealed the fire in. As it died, they called the miners slowly back to work again. Some may say that it was nothing, and the world may pass it by. But the people up in Timmins will always hear that awful cry. There's a fire way down in the mine. There's a fire way down in the mine. Uh, Alrighty, you just heard Stomp and Tom Connors with Fire in the Mine on CJRU. We are here having a chat with Charlie Angus. Uh, and next up, Charlie, you've picked uh, a Springsteen tune. What can you tell us about meeting across the river? Well, uh, Born to Run is, I think, one of the, the greatest rock and roll albums ever made. And mm-hmm. people think of the big Springsteen anthems, but I remember when I first listened to that album with headphones on and he was painting this picture of this world you know new jersey new york uh, working class people hot you know hot rods and nightlife uh, for for the lower class really meeting across the river i just i just listened to it over and over and it really when i was a young songwriter it really changed how i saw writing songs Mm -hmm. because he doesn't resolve it he shows you a picture Mm -hmm. he shows you a picture of a guy who's on the down and out uh, who's trying to make a deal, and he doesn't tell you what's going to happen in the deal. You kind of know the deal's going to go south, right? But he doesn't resolve it, and so it's a perpetual presence. It's a like it's it's in the moment right. permanently. Every time you listen to it, you're right at that moment. Is he going to make it? Is he not? And uh, I just think it's a great piece of writing, and it uh, and Springsteen is still incredibly relevant yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in his late sixties. He continues to write great music, but I've always uh, been really uh, well. That song had a huge influence on how I wrote. Right. I mean, I my most recent sort of interaction with with his music, I, he put out this. I can't for the life of me remember what it was called, but it was this sort of um, like a live concert um, movie where he performed it in his barn. And yes, he had just a yes. bunch of friends out, and it yeah. was it was a truly breathtaking performance. It was just him because I, I believe he decided not to tour his latest album, um, but he just did this one-off show in his barn, and they recorded it, and it was just it was breathtaking. And yeah. uh, and I was yeah. I was lucky enough to have a friend bring me out to see it with him at TIFF. Um, but I'm curious, like what what are some songs of yours that this has really played an influence? on you know in a in a really noticeable way and and sort of and how has it shaped those songs in particular well uh, mostly in the grievous angels which is my main band uh where i moved out of punk and more into you know alt country and roots and i and a lot of the songs really tell the story of of the northern working class Uh, we had a song on the last album called first signs of spring it hasn't been above 30 below in something like a week or so right radio calling it a big deep freeze and that icy wind is getting in all our dreams and it begins where it ends the the opening line is the closing line like and it's a story of a couple struggling he's lost his job there he's doing night drives driving something someplace you don't but you know it's sketchy yeah. uh, but he doesn't talk about what it is and he keeps waiting you know there's going to be better days but it, it begins and ends in the same place i really right. love that technique in writing that yeah. you, you're 
it should resolve. You know, it hopefully will resolve, but it's not resolving yet. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I just, I, I, you know, I really love writing songs. I spend a lot of my time when I'm not doing, it's what I do when I don't do politics. I, right. I do music. I listen to music. Uh, yeah. You got to have a life outside of freaking <laughs> politics. <laughs> well, I mean, I love this idea of sort of it, it, it not ending, it sort of living in perpetuity. I mean, you know, especially when you're, discussing sort of a cold winter i mean uh, anyone you know in certain parts of this country know that sometimes it can feel like a like a winter can last forever so i i, I have no it's doubt definitely that this that, winter yeah exactly <laughs> i have no doubt that it uh that it allows just the tune to to resonate more um but uh but with that uh, let's give the tune a listen this is bruce springsteen with meeting across the river on cjru Cherry says she's gonna walk Cause she found I took the radio in hot day But any man she don't understand That two grand's practically Sitting here in my pocket Tonight's gonna be everything that I said Then when I walk through that door I'm just gonna throw that money on the You'll see this time I wasn't just talking Then I'm gonna go out walking Hey, Eddie, can you catch us Um, all righty, you just heard Meeting Across the River uh, by Bruce Springsteen on CJRU. And next up, uh, Charlie, we've got, a, we've got a tune by The Clash. Uh, what can you tell us about this one? Well, uh, The Clash weren't just a group. Uh, they were a way of seeing the world. I, I remember going into a record store, you know, I'm 15 years old, and there's like, back then, there's like all the bands wearing kimonos and, 
you know, big fluffy hair and really right. fancy looking guitars. And the first Clash album looks like a wanted poster. It's just so in your face. Mm-hmm. And I remember picking that album up multiple times and not even sure if I should buy it. Like that's to me, it just represented so much drama and menace and and I bought the album and I went over to I was you know, had a teenage girlfriend and I said, You gotta hear this and I didn't know what it was gonna be. And the mm-hmm. very first song was Janie Jones. Right. Uh, which is not really a clash like it doesn't sound so much like the rest of like it wasn't hard punk, it wasn't hard driving politics, but mm-hmm. I just listened to it and I I knew the world was never gonna be the same again. To yeah. me, being a teenager the world was like I don't know, a lot of grays and browns and plain colors and suddenly it was like this is for real yeah and i i I, after that i i think every clash album every clash single that came out i had listened to study and and it really informed how i thought the world could be how you could play music how you could do things how you could take control of your life how you could just be who you thought you should be because you know joe strummer never worried about not being able to play chords very well he had passion yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so, I mean, I'm always interested. I mean, the Clash, as I was just saying to you, I mean, there's so many people who've been on this show pick a tune by the Clash and, and sort of express to me how it's sort of the thing that kind of got them into this style of music. Um, and I'm always interested in sort of where it went from there. So, like, perhaps maybe you could walk us through, like, what were some punk bands that you sort of followed up the Clash with? Like, um, some bands that they were sort of the gateway drug to. Uh, if you want to use that analogy. Well, in the early days, it was Stiff Little Fingers uh, out of Ireland, which I still think is the greatest band that ever came out of Ireland, blows right. Bono and Edge way off the map, but uh, right. they just didn't have the corporate endorsements you two had. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the Buzzcocks, a great pop band. But right. I think what was interesting about The Clash is that they really didn't want to just be a punk band. They wanted right. to open people's eyes. So... They really pushed uh, the connection to reggae. Yeah. Uh, reggae would be, was a huge political influence at the time. Uh, we began to we listened to a lot of reggae. Toronto had a huge reggae scene, and the Clash really opened our eyes to a lot of reggae. Mm-hmm. They opened it up to funk at a time when funk seemed really, you know, for white kids was like way out there. Right. Um, so they were always introducing us to bands, and then you know the whole. Uh, all the sort of reggae punk mixes like the specials and madness, that whole scene of trying to mix uh, kind of a more of a world sound. I think that that was what the, the clash politically were really important. You know, visually they really established the style, but they really tried to push uh, their fans into saying the world's bigger and rockabilly, you know, the yeah. rockabilly revival, the clash were there for all these music forms to say, this is punk rock too. Yeah. Punk rock is not just shouting, and uh, I don't really have a lot of time for punk rock shouting now. I like, I want to see passion. I want to see drive, right. and that can be expressed in a lot of musical forms. Right. Well, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I I have a number of friends who are sort of really into this sort of rockabilly revival, and uh, you know, they they play in rockabilly bands. I mean, a, a very good friend of mine. Um, played uh played drums in a group called uh the shook boys and you know you could always catch them playing some really cool tunes down at the dakota and uh 
but they they just have this love for Joe Strummer. Um, mm-hmm. I think for that exact reason, and, and also just on top of that, the the sort of the connection to reggae. When we had Warren Kinsella on the show, this is something that he spoke about a lot. Um, he said that that was sort of because he he loved reggae and he loved dub music, and and this was sort of the Clash was the band when he listened to a song called White Man and Hammersmith Palais. Oh yeah, I I would have picked that song. I'm so glad that if I <laughs> if Warren Kinsella picked it, I didn't. But it's uh, it's uh, that that song. Yeah, that song is the definitive Clash song. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Alrighty, well, uh, this is Janie Jones by The Clash on CJRU. joining us we are here having a chat with mp for timmins charlie angus and uh next up charlie you have picked a uh, a wonderful uh, a wonderful jazz tune we've got uh, alex bird and the mavericks uh why'd you pick this tune yeah well i'm, I'm just doing shameless self-promotion here but i think <laughs> alex bird is uh, i think he's got a real future he's toronto jazz crooner singer he's got this young band um and uh i managed to start writing some songs with Alex and it's been really fun. I mean, jazz is not my forte, but the, right. he's got a real precision. So, um, the way she moves is the first single. He's got a second single. that's one for best song jazz songwriting award already. Right. Uh, it's going to be coming out early May. And, uh, so the way she moves is, um, I, I got to co-write with him. It was a lot yeah. of fun. We sat down one night and said, let's try and do a Tom Jones kind of feel. Let's right, get right. something. And uh, we just play around with stuff. And uh, he's he's got a lot more melodic skill than I do. But right. uh, how to how to put a song together. It's a lot of fun. Right. So, I mean, how did you how did you get hooked up with Alex Bird? Well, Alex uh, was going out with my youngest daughter. Okay. Uh, and and we talked a lot. Like, I mean, I, I really recognized immediately he had this great, 
incredible vocal style and incredible right. sense of melody. Uh, and he was trying to put a band together and, uh, he asked, you know, I offered some advice. If you don't want my advice, that's fine. Because, you know, I mean, young bands got to do their own thing. Right. But uh, we started to just do some writing together, trading yeah. lyrics or trading a mel- melodic line. And uh, I, I think they're really going to take off. Yeah. And these guys are all in their mid-20s. And they're just, they're like old souls in jazz. Yeah. So, um well, I mean, I, I can I just really tell by the way they were dressing in the video when I checked it out. But but you're right. It, it reminds you of sort of, you know, Tom Jones, uh, those, those sort of old crooner style jazz tunes yeah yeah so we just uh it to me it's a lot of it's been a lot of fun working with them and just uh, and also seeing where they're going like they're they're taking the music in different directions and they uh and being in the studio with them i got them into canterbury studio with jeremy darby in toronto and jeremy's worked with everyone from ella fitzgerald to nirvana Uh, uh and so jeremy really brought a lot of uh production skill to the project it was just fun just being there in the studio and talking about how how the song should sound, how we should how we could make the song just have a, the particular feel that his band wanted. Brilliant. All righty. Well, uh, let's check it out then. This is Alex Bird with the way she moves on CJRU. The way she moves through gridlock streets like an angel's grace has kissed her feet. Like a bird that's broken free The way she moves, she moves me The way she moves, she moves me The way she moves her head like a silent dancer in the midnight square the song she's hearing sets her free the way she moves she moves me the way she moves she moves me she's the girl with faraway eyes she's like Dorsey's clear blue skies she's somewhere beyond the sea the way Oh, see. 
walked through Fidaby by her side I'd sing a song that would light the night I'd give my heart to be so free Cause the way she moves, she moves me 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 Alrighty, uh, that was Alex Bird with The Way She Moves. If you are just joining us, we are here having a chat with MP Charlie Angus. Uh, and we usually do this closer to the beginning, but uh, but I wanted to ask you those questions about uh, about your band, so we're going to do this now. Uh, we're going to do a quick little lightning round of questions, Charlie, if that's all Uh-oh. right with you. Uh, <laughs> all related to music. Um, okay. And uh, so the, the first one is, uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, Timmins and then Toronto. Okay. Uh, and then uh, first concert? First concert was Max Webster. Uh, nice. Great, great, great band. Better than Rush. Way better than Rush. Really? At my high school, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe we'll, we'll probably have to debate this afterwards, but since this is a lightning round of questions, we have to yeah. go on to the next okay. one. But <laughs> uh, first album you ever bought? First album I ever bought was the Rolling Stones' Get Your Yeah Yeahs out for three ninety nine. It was on sale. Brilliant! Oh my goodness, three ninety nine. Um, guilty pleasure artist. Guilty pleasure artist. I. I don't know. You know, my secret love is. I don't know if you have the secret love, but it's Amy Winehouse. Right. Man, I could listen to her all day. Yeah, she's brilliant. I love her. Um, Beatles or Stones. Stones. Okay, and uh, and last but one. But I do listen to the Beatles a lot now, but it's, it always goes to the Stones. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, and uh, last one, and, and, and we haven't really touched on this group, so I don't know if, if you necessarily have an opinion on this, but uh, I think it certainly is a, a way of sort of assessing where people are at. Uh, Liam or Noel? Uh, that is a huge debate in my family. Okay. Uh, it's a huge debate. Uh, my daughters love Liam uh over Noel these days mm-hmm. so uh, i i take my my cue from my daughters who argue the liam or Noel is okay. definitely <laughs> but way definitely but i i take them over blur blur any day okay good that's that's yeah, very yeah. very good to know yeah. i mean I, I i myself am 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 a fan of both but just you know to get in to get into the sort of back and forth of the two groups i'm always on the on the side of oasis um all right <laughs> well thank you very much for that well it's just because they're such gentle decent Shit, caring human beings. I just love their commentary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a very witty bunch. I, I saw Noel yeah. Gallagher at the uh, at the amphitheater in Toronto last summer, and uh, he, he he's been putting out a bunch of tunes that have been very unpopular with Oasis fans because they've been kind of dancey. Um, yeah. And he, he said, you know, are there any Oasis fans in the house? And, you know, of course, everyone cheered. And he said, all right, this one's for you. And then he launched into his danciest new tune just to kind of mess with everybody a little bit but uh, that's kind of funny that's sort of what paul weller did when he quit the jam right he, he went to this dance thing we were like what the frick's that about man like that's yeah. not so maybe noel's uh noel's definitely influenced by paul weller so yeah well he's, he's, he's often taken a lot of his cues from paul weller so yeah, uh yeah. you know uh, that, <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me um yeah. all right anyway uh so the next tune that you've got uh, for us is a tune by patty smith uh what do you like about this one 
Uh, I mean, Patty's the great, she's the grandmother of punk rock. Uh, I love Patty. I love her spirit. I love her writing. Uh, when I heard people have the power, it just blew my mind. Uh, it just, it's a song of hope for this era, which we really need right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I ran for the leadership, uh, uh, she gave me permission to use it. So uh, I didn't win the leadership, but I had a pretty cool soundtrack. I was allowed to use <laughs> up till like, I think the end of the uh, first uh, up, uh, up until I lost, I had a legal agreement that I could use the song. That's brilliant. Well, so uh, th that's such an interesting point. Cause, so what do you make of, there's all this, it seems as if every election cycle in the U.S., there's some Republican who's using some rock and roll song and the artist gets pissed about it. Um, what do you make of sort of music being used as theme music? And perhaps, you know, just to make it interesting what are some other tunes that you might pick if you were to hypothetically run for for leadership again what would uh what would be some 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 other tunes that you would pick as your theme music well i'm not running for leader again but uh <laughs> i i've used different songs in my very first election when i ran in what was considered a safe liberal writing i used waco brothers the harder they come the harder they fall right. uh, and then in 2013 i actually did a show with the waco brothers so it was really funny I, and I said you're not gonna believe this i know i'm uh, you're going to find it funny that I'm an elected member of parliament, first of all. <laughs> Number two, that when I first ran, I used uh, The Harder They Come. Um, I, I heard, uh, I think at an NDP gathering, I heard Better Days, I think, uh, of, of Springsteen. I was like, yeah, that's a right. good choice. Right. Uh, you know, of course, the famous is the Clintons. Um, don't stop uh, thinking about tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, well, and then, and then Mr. Trump, I, I think, upset Neil Young quite a bit. Uh, he walked out to... I think it was keep on rocking in the free world and yeah 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 and uh and then um they tried born in the USA and the boss is like no you're, you're not touching <laughs> that song <laughs> well so. and then and then I think they um I don't know if it was Ron or Rand Paul but one of them um quoted some Rush lyrics in some speech uh you know which Rush has always had kind of had a libertarian bend to it but they they were still not uh, not all that happy about uh <laughs> their lyrics being invoked in that way <laughs> um, but anyway this is Patti Smith with People Have the Power on CJRU
Alrighty, you just heard Patty Smith with People Have the Power on CJRU. If you are just joining us, we are here having a chat with MP Charlie Angus. Uh, and next up, we've got another one of your tunes, Charlie. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Grievous Angels and what can you tell us about uh, Red Deer to Mar- uh, Marjorie? Marguerite, Marguerite, Marguerite Cape Breton. Um, well, that was a song on our very first record. Uh, I don't know. I think we put about, I think we're on our eighth album. So we're just finalizing the eighth album. We we did Red Deer to Marguerite because um, the Sky Diggers uh, do a cover of it. Right. And uh, I was sort of hoping to get maybe Andrew Cash or Jason Collette to come on and have all of us sing it together because we used to perform it together. But right. we it was really cool being with Andy Mays at the Sky Diggers. He's like my, my one of my favorite performers in Canada, one of my favorite bands, and it was great that they sang the song. Right. Um, and, you know, the Angels loved, I mean, I love touring in Canada. I love Canada. I think Canada is, like, the beauty of it, but also the decency of the people. It doesn't matter where you go, the sense yeah. of openness and compassion. So it's, it's a road song, a Canadian road song from, like, one end of the country almost to the other. Right. Red Deer's not quite all the way to to bc but uh it just it just sounded right so we we just went and redid this song with andy may so it's not finally mixed yet or right. that but it's uh, it'll be on our new album all righty brilliant well so what are what are some venues in across canada that you love playing and and, and perhaps you know what, what what are some some cities where you think that you guys have been uh, uh the most well received um we've played i mean every club in ottawa every club there was in toronto over the years um, a lot of those clubs are gone now uh, festivals uh i think some of my favorite live music venues were in alberta right. uh i always have a very different view of albertans people are like oh it's so right wing out there and it's yeah. like, i don't know like like i i i co-hosted the calgary folk festival about four years ago that's when i played with the waco brothers and right. you know like doing music in alberta you really get to see the greatness of the people. Regina was a wild city to play. Yeah. Um, uh, Ottawa is a good live music town. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've played a lot of dives. Yeah. Um, I've seen some crazy things. I, I think the funniest was, was our band to get out West. We would get, uh, getting to the Ontario border is a huge thing. Right. Uh, it's probably much more difficult now with f- fewer gig opportunities. So right. we would, we would drive to Timmins because we could get a three to six night gig in a country bar and it right. paid us a good amount of money. And then we get to Thunder Bay to the dive crocs and rolls or go down through Sudbury and t- the townhouses and other great legendary places. And then we right. hit the West in the main clubs. But uh, I'll tell you, Timmins is my hometown, but I, we saw, we played some crazy nights. Uh, some of the craziest things I've ever seen have been in bars in Northern Ontario. So it's uh so like I say, I don't, I don't worry about getting heckled by a, an accountant from Calgary in the house of commons. <laughs> people say, Oh my God, it must be so hard to concentrate. It's like, I've had bottles thrown at me. I've seen people go at it with pool cues in front of the stage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of shows that were just, uh, too funny to, to it's just too strange it's a i think the world's a little more settled down now than it was in right. some of the bars we played fair enough well you know it's funny i mean i, I mentioned to you uh during one of the uh during the break that uh uh one of my best friends uh is from timmins and she's often uh trying to convince us to, to take a trip up there with her to, to listen to some tunes so uh hopefully when this sort of uh, self-isolation period is over i'll uh, i'll get to make my way up there and there you uh, go yeah uh yeah. but uh but until then this is grievous angels with andy mays and uh red deer to marguerite on cjru
takeout cup for me and one for you. The headlights carve out fears in the night. Midnight radio keeping me alive.
Alrighty, you just heard Red Deer to Marguerite by the Grievous Angels with Andy Mays. If you're just joining us, we are here having a chat with Charlie Angus, uh, MP for Timmins and uh, a member of the Grievous Angels. Uh, and next up, we have our CanCon quota. So I've asked Charlie to, uh, to pick a Canadian album for us. Charlie, uh, you picked Bruce Coburn. What can you tell us about this? Well, uh, there was, I think, every year for about 10 years, uh, Bruce Coburn's album were coming out steady, 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 and we listened to every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really defined a sound for Canada and Toronto in a particular period of time. The Stealing Fire album, uh, I, I just, we listened to that over and over and over again. Uh, that song came out at the time when the Americans were involved in, you know, their dirty wars in Central America and right. Nicaraguan revolution had happened and there were the mass killings in El Salvador and Guatemala by the military gangs and mm-hmm. and Bruce Coburn came out with his song If I Had a Rocket Launcher mm-hmm. uh, which he basically said he had taken an American helicopter out of the sky and that was so un-Canadian we were right. so shocked by that we, we sat and discussed <laughs> that song over I remember being on a band trip out in the Maritimes where for like 12 hours in the van we argued about them the song and what it meant and why right. should he have said it or shouldn't he have. Uh, and then I think I'm not, it's not the opening song is uh, to raise the morning star, I think. But uh, one of the beautiful songs on that is uh, lovers in a dangerous time, which was one of the first bare naked ladies songs. So mm-hmm. uh, I think kind of a bit of an anthem for COVID to be a lover, uh, yeah. to be lovers in a dangerous time. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh, I can't put it any better than that. Uh, this is, we're going to play three songs off this album, but this is Bruce Coburn with stealing fire.
Okay, you just heard three songs from Bruce Coburn's album, Stealing Fire. Uh, If you're just joining us, we are just wrapping up this hour of having a chat with Charlie Angus. Uh, And last up, Charlie, we're going to play... to wrap up the show, we're going to play another tune from uh, from your old band, your old punk band, uh, L'Etranger. We're going to listen to Time and a Place. What can you tell us about this tune? Uh, That was, I think think on the very last recording uh, with L'Etranger, I was quitting the band at that point. I um, I was working with the homeless in downtown Toronto. Andrew Cash was getting signed to Island Records, which was uh, quite the deal at the time, because mm-hmm. Island was doing a lot of the big reggae acts, and mm-hmm. I think they had U2 at the time as well. So this was the last record. I don't play bass on this. Tim Vestley of The Real Statics did the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was involved in the setup of the song and mm-hmm. we played it live a hundred times but uh for the recording i had stepped out at that point mm-hmm. uh, and it captures the i think it cap it well captures the uh the sound of l'étranger the spirit of the time and uh and andrew cash was in it was and remains an incredible incredible performer to to perform with he was just uh he really can really captivate the crowd and we were very young at the time with early right. 20s all right brilliant well uh thank you very much for uh for coming on the show charlie we really appreciate it and uh do you have any uh you know any last words perhaps about uh your take on sort of the the power of music and politics 
Well, I think music plays a huge role. Um, I mean, I think it's a way of bringing people together. And I always say, I, I, you know, when I got when I first ran for office, I put my suit on because, you know, as a new Democrat, you got to look like you can hold down a job. You right. know, liberals sort of always dress down. New Democrats have to dress up. Right. Um, and uh, as soon as I started, people would say, where's your guitar? Yeah. Um, and I bring my guitar a lot of places in the writing now because people – I think I always say at the very least they know a three-minute song uh, will only last three minutes, whereas a politician with a mic might not stop for a long time. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, music's great, and you know during the COVID uh, times, I'm seeing lots of people performing. I'm doing this digital hoot nanny every few nights. I release a new song. Right. People are sending me requests. So, because of the horrific killings in Nova Scotia, I did. I did farewell to Nova Scotia and it's gone right. around and around on YouTube and uh, I'm working on a new one now. I'm not sure which one it is, but music's a way of reaching people. And I think yeah. that that's, you know, if you have it, uh, do it. I mean, I can't skate. I can't throw a ball. Um, you know, I don't do, uh, I don't do those celebrity hockey games. The yeah. conservatives always wanted me to join the NDP team. And I said, that's just cause you want to use a stick to take my teeth out. And I'm not that <laughs> dumb, but, but I can play guitar. So, <laughs> So music's 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 a good way to be with people. All righty. Well, uh, thanks very much for that, Charlie. Thanks and, a lot. Uh, and uh, you can check out our podcast on uh, anywhere where you get your podcast. You can subscribe. It's having a chat. Uh, and to wrap things up, this is L'Etranger with Time and a Place on CJRU. Mm-hmm.